Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 427 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, you know, anxiety and dread. It's great. Things are fine. Everything's, Everything's fine. Yep. Um, we're just going to keep plugging along because Jill had a good idea for our Thursday episode, so everything's going to be like it's a perfectly normal week and nothing is weird at all. No guarantees after that, though. Yeah, we'll see what happens after that. Um, so today's episode is an interview I did with Stephanie Robel, who wrote Darling Rose Gold. So good. Yeah. A book we both read and both loved. Uh, so creepy. Yes. And I know I've mentioned this before, but she's one of those people where I, when I met her, I was like, you, how did you, you're so yeah. polite and, and like wonderful. <laughs> and, um, I just have described this book as like, I hated all of the characters, but in the best way possible. Yes. So. Uh, it is a book about a person with Munchausen by proxy, and I'm not going to talk any more about it because we talk a little bit about it in the in the interview. But I just you just need to read this book. Yes, it's so good. I will say though, if you are at all familiar with the true story of Gypsy Rose Blanchard and her mom, you will like this book. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. That's all I'll say. I'll leave it. If you at are that. familiar with that name at all? Uh huh. You will like this book. Um, and not for nothing, I don't know where you're listening to this podcast from, but if you're in the U.S. or Canada, the the book is like, the cover is amazing. It's so good. It's it's cool in the U.K. and other places, but the, the one... I think in, I've seen the U.K. one. It's like oh, okay. very straightforward. Yeah. But the one from the U.S. and Canada is super, super amazing. Um, and if you happen to get the physical version, it's like raised cover. Yes, it's a textured cover. Thank you. Textured You're design. welcome. If people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter, at ProBookNerds. You can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yeah, and if you're like us and spending more time at home over the next week or so and you want a book recommendation, shoot us a message. We'll be happy to deliver that. Um, so, yeah. Anything else that you think people should know about? I don't think so. I don't think so either. All right. Well, I will let you guys get to this interview with Stephanie Robel on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hey everybody, it's Adam. I'm still hanging out in Philadelphia at the American Library Association Midwinter Conference, and I'm really, really excited to be joined by Stephanie Robel, who is a debut author of the heart-pounding new book, Darling Rose Gold. It's been called everything from the most unique book of the year to dark, funny, captivatingly disturbing, which I think is the one I like the most. Uh, it's been compared to The Silent Patient, Sharp Objects, and has received praise from past guests Lee Child and Lisa Jewell. If you love reading about characters that will kind of infuriate you, I think this book is perfect for you. Stephanie, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So can you kind of kick us off by giving our listeners an introduction to Darling Rose Gold? Sure. So Darling Rose Gold is a book about a mother and daughter named Patty and Rose Gold Watts. 
and Rose Gold thinks she's sick for the first 18 years of her life. She needs a wheelchair, she has a feeding tube, her hair falls out in clumps, and no matter how many doctors she goes to, nobody can figure out what's wrong with her. It turns out Patty was making everything up, and Patty's behind all of it. And so Patty goes to prison for five years, and the book starts with her getting out of prison. Mm -hmm. And she gets out, she has nowhere to go because understandably everyone has turned on her. Uh And so she begs her now adult daughter, Rose Gold, to take her in. And much to the shock of everyone in town, Rose Gold says yes. Mm -hmm. And so mother and daughter move in together and Patty insists all she wants is to reconcile, let bygones be bygones. Mm -hmm. Uh, But her daughter knows her mother and she knows that Patty always settles the score. Uh But the question is, how has Rose Gold changed over the five years while her mother's been away? Yeah. Because she's definitely not the little weakling that her mother thinks she is. No, she's not. I, there's so much to unpack in this book. <laughs> I, I, I told you before we started recording, I almost felt like I needed to shower after reading it, but like in a good way. Like I feel like everything I think about it, like it sounds like an insult, but it's not. It like it's These characters made me so angry that I, and I couldn't stop reading about them and... I'm curious, like, what made you want to write about Munchausen by proxy? Is that the one that's the official one? What made you want to write about this admittedly very traumatizing and traumatic thing that's out in the world? Well, I think that Munchausen is really intriguing because the motivation, because of the motivation behind it. So they don't do this, you know, out of like greed or fraud or, you know, trying to pull it over on the hospital. They do it because they want love and attention from the medical community, which is intriguing and heartbreaking and pathetic and also very sad. And so I think for me, as I started reading all these firsthand accounts, I was wondering, do they know that they're lying Mm -hmm. or do they honestly think they're doing what's best for their kids? It's not totally clear. So I think trying to get inside the head of Patty is Mm -hmm. actually was the impetus for the whole so what was the kind of the, the spark though like was it reading an article or I think I remember like the first time I experienced seeing this it was the, the movie The Sixth Sense yeah. it was it, <laughs> a lot of people bring up weirdly Sixth Sense. Yeah. yeah but so what was the kind of the, the impetus to like want to start doing that research so I first found out about the disease from my best friend who's an elementary school psychologist and she has worked with students oh. and parents who to a much less severe degree okay. than my book, yeah. thank God, yeah. but who she suspects have much house in my proxy. And so, um, yeah, it was really that, that she was the one to introduce me to it. And then I started reading all these firsthand accounts. And there's this one that I always talk about called, it's a memoir called Sickened by Julie Gregory. And um, Julie's mother had much house in my proxy. And so that story, I mean, it's an entire book, just getting behind the motivation of it. So that really sparked a lot of... Thought. Well, and I have to imagine doing the emo- the, the research was, had to be pretty emotional to kind of yeah. I mean, it. I mean, of course, it's it's horrifying, and mm-hmm. I think that's just so baked into it. But I think if you, for me, what I love about the suspense genre is the why yeah. more than the what. And so I've always been interested in human psychology, and I think, of course, the psychology of the kids who have to recover from mm-hmm. this abuse is really intriguing in itself. But if I'm being honest, and I don't know what it says about me, it was <laughs> it was the psychology of the mother that mm-hmm. really drew me in to start. Well, and it, it, I I agree with the the, the why done it as opposed yeah. to like the who done it. I know that's yeah. I'm right there with you. But you also have I, I love how you play with the structure of the timeline. Mm. So can you kind of talk about that just a little bit because it it like peels back layers of the story. Sure. So I think. Um, 
I think having two timelines helps from a perspective of not knowing what's going to happen because if, if we followed Rose Gold in the present timeline, mm -hmm. then we would know what she was up to. Yeah. So from that's purely from like a more technical perspective. Sure. But I think the immediate five years after Patty goes to prison is the most interesting time for Rose Gold because mm -hmm. for the first time in her life, she has she's on her own. Mm -hmm. You know, she has had somebody to make every single decision for her, and now all of a sudden she has to do it all by herself. Mm -hmm. And so understandably, you would go through such a range of emotions. Some uh -huh. days you really miss your mother, no matter how horribly yeah. she treated you, because Patty wasn't necessarily horrible to her face most of the time. Like, yeah. she was, she played the doting mother. Uh -huh. And so on one hand, you know, Rose Gold misses that, and she wants to be loved, as we all do. But then on the other hand, of course, there's so much rage and the hurt built up right. because of all of this mystery. Well, exactly what you said about still missing the, the majority in her mind, at least, her mom was being the doting mother. And I, it also strikes me, the part that I know to be true with people who suffer from this is even while her mother is in prison and she's going through, she, it's so, uh, it's so obvious from the outside that she is conniving and she is, like, scheming and she has this way, even though she is pretty evil admittedly <laughs> but she has a way of like convincing people that yeah. they need to listen to her I think that was that was the most interesting challenge of the book is I mean people with Munchausen by proxy I assume I didn't talk to any of them but yeah. they probably don't think that they're scheming and horrible and evil yeah you know? so you really I think anytime you write a, a villainous sort of character uh -huh. you really have to think from their point of view like they never think they're the bad guy right and so I do think and a lot of Maybe not a lot, but some of Patty's, you know, motivations come from an honest, worried place where, uh -huh. you know, I think a lot of parents can relate to the idea of like, oh my God, I just wish I had like a medical professional nearby yeah. in case something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Especially when you, you know, first bring your kid home from mm -hmm. the hospital and it's like all up to you. Exactly what you said. Sorry, I didn't mean to like cut you off with my <laughs> eyes getting really wide, which no one could obviously see. But it's, it's so funny you say that. So my my sister has four kids and then our we're in the age now where our friends are starting to have children and they will like th those first like few weeks they'll literally just watch their baby breathe and they'll yeah. be worried that they're going to stop breathing and now they even have those little like um like lights or whatever that you kind of put on your baby's like belly button and if oh really it's so it's both cool and very weird like it tracks their breathing and if it stops you get an alert and it's basically designed for parents who are just staring at their child <laughs> to, to breathe but I, it, I feel like it, if you think about it that way, it's easy to understand how someone could think that they're doing the right thing because it's it could be a slippery slope for being like watching your child breathe to the first time they cough, being like, well, yeah. something has to happen. Right. And then it's years and years of that. Yeah, and I think a lot of parents can probably relate to the the trying to walk the line between overreacting and just being a good parent. Uh -huh. And so I tried to play into that a little bit to make Patty a little more relatable, at yeah. least in certain flashbacks. Yeah. So with the, the flashbacks and the, the altering timelines, when it came to writing out the story, I love talking about like crafts and how you went about it. Clearly you had most of this plotted out, but would you write the chapters as they came to in the book or were you basically writing like two different timelines and then sort of splicing it in um so well <laughs> the first draft i basically threw away fair <laughs> so totally fair uh -huh. i just kept the two characters and like did a completely different premise but mm -hmm. um the book that ended up being the book i basically i started very zoomed out and sort mm -hmm. of like where do i want to start and where do i want the characters to end up yeah. 
And then once I knew that, I had a sentence summary for what I wanted each chapter to be. Uh And then as far as actually writing them, I did write them in like chapter order. So Uh it wasn't one full timeline because there's a lot of things that something gets revealed in one chapter and then like it plays into the, you know, plays off of the next one. So I think it would have been hard to do a full timeline and then a full timeline. That's, um, that's a very good point, especially with it being kind of like a a thriller type of a book, which it very much is. It's like, you do need those hard hitting chapter ends where it's like you hit that beat and then you go to the next chapter. But what you do, what keeps, what I think keeps readers reading, what kept me reading is because it's the back and forth. You don't then get if like you finish chapter eleven and you're like, what is what's going on in this timeline? Chapter twelve isn't about that timeline. So yeah. You have to keep going. It's no, it's very well put together, and I, I just I have to imagine editing was was pretty tricky with that. Yeah, I mean, yes, but I think the so the the most extensive editing was upfront getting the two. Well, Patty's voice came, again, worryingly, pretty quickly and easily to me, but Rose Gold's voice, like, really required a lot of reworking. Um, So that was the toughest part of editing. And then, like, really the middle. Mm -hmm. I think all of the Rose Gold chapters, not to give too much away, but the sort of the subplot with her other family members and that stuff was Uh really what required the most, like, kind of re-moving things around. Remember how amazing you felt as a kid, curling up in the corner to get lost in a good book for hours? Create magical, imaginative moments like those with your own kids with Literati. Literati is a subscription book club that makes it easy to find unique and interesting books for your kids by sending great stories straight to you. For parents, this is just such a great thing, especially right now with everybody admittedly being home for a long time. Um, There's nothing better than knowing you're going to get a box of books delivered for your kids and it's going to help them improve their vocabularies and their attention spans. And plus with Literati, you'll be doing something together. So each Literati book, or sorry, each Literati box contains five beautiful books based on a theme and contains exclusive original art and a personalized note to your child. Uh, I know personally, we've been working with Literati for a while now, so I have it set up to get sent to my nieces and nephews. And uh, my sister told me with their kids being off here in Ohio for um, the next several weeks, at least uh, with the coronavirus scare, she told me actually this weekend, it was nice to know that they were still going to have books coming to their house. And that's all thanks to Literati. So Literati actively curates stories that spark curiosity and soften the heart, which saves you hours of searching a store or scrolling through lists of books online that uh, you're just not sure are going to fit for them. And Literati will beat any Amazon listed price as well. You only have to keep your favorites and then you can send back the rest and that part's all for free as well. Join the largest book club in America with 1 million plus books delivered and tens of thousands of happy literati literati families, including my own. Uh, For a limited time, go to literati.com slash probooknerds for 20% off your first two orders. This is their best offer available anywhere. And to get it, you have to go to literati.com slash probooknerds. Again, for 25% off your first two orders, one last time, that's literati.com slash probooknerds. Something I really loved, and this isn't super plot related, so I think I'm okay to talk about it, but she, uh, Rose Gold was always very concerned with her teeth. Yeah. And that's something that when you think about Munchausen by Proxy and the fact that like, these 
parents are causing their children to throw up and stuff like just that little physical trait that I don't think people realize you think about the deterioration of a body and what they have to go through but like she's still a person who wants to be accepted in the world and I was that something that you were reading a lot about in these different accounts or is that something that you just thought would probably happen because of what she was doing no I mean it's pretty common with the accounts at least that I've read Mm -hmm. um, the feeding tube the sort of malnutrition and dental hygiene sometimes like if the parent doesn't teach the kid it's something we all take for granted it's like we know to brush our teeth and floss and stuff (laughs) but you know if your parent never teaches you or doesn't then you know that doesn't help and the constant vomiting which is also very common for victims um, of course can like corrode the enamel and stuff so I think um, especially here in America, like we really value our teeth being yes. white and straight. I say that because I live in the UK. So okay, that's right. Young, yeah, it is very important in younger generations, but it's not always been a given. But I do feel like in the U.S., like it's definitely a given of like uh-huh. you take care of your teeth. Yeah, and so I think that is a more visual and sort of visceral, like to just imagine crumbling teeth. You know uh-huh. what I mean? It's just yeah, it's a good way of illustrating just the deterioration like you said yeah listen I can't even imagine having in real life because I am one of the like people who have the stress dreams with the teeth where they like <laughs> fall out and I so I can't imagine it happening in real life that is a it's a living nightmare I can yeah. imagine um on your website you mentioned that your MFA program really helped you kind of take grading seriously for the first time mm-hmm. and I'm curious like what were the key takeaways for you in that program for someone who might be an aspiring writer like what changed when you went to this program other than the fact that it was like intensively hey you have to write sure so i think for aspiring writers there's there's three things that come to mind as far as if i were to offer any advice yeah um the first one is to give yourself some sort of goal and Mm -hmm. so whether it's a number of words or an amount of time per day per week per month i think getting your butt in the seat and actually doing the writing has to be a priority Um, The second thing, and this is what I really picked up from my MFA program, and maybe it sounds silly, but get qualified feedback. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to have your nearest and dearest read and give you feedback, but to get somebody, and it doesn't have to be an MFA program, you know, there's a lot of programs like Grub Street and Gotham Workshop and all of those that, um, but I think getting feedback from a qualified source, you can write till, you know, your hands bleed, Uh but at some point, if you don't get instruction on how to improve, Mm -hmm. it's going to be harder to improve, so. What were some of the things that you found that you were doing that maybe weren't as helpful with being too descriptive or not descriptive enough, or Mm -hmm. were there things that you saw a major difference from the program? It's just, this fascinates me, like, of going into a program specifically and, like, taking something, like, because this ended up, this was your, like, this was how you graduated from the program, correct? Yeah, this is my thesis. Yeah. So clearly it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what, was there anything that you noticed a major change in your writing from before um, to after? I don't know if there was any major change. I think, I mean, I, I hear that like a lot of writers kind of try to be one kind of writer, like mm-hmm. different than they actually are. Yeah. So I think because I went to the MFA program later, mm-hmm. like a lot of people there are in their early or mid-20s, and I started it when I was 29 or 30. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, so being a little more comfortable with like who I am and what my strengths are, right. like I'm just not the kind of person who's going to write beautiful, flowery prose. You know what I mean? Like that's not my strength. And yeah. I think knowing that and not trying to sort of imitate some other writer that I uh-huh. you know love and admire, um, I think 
that is one takeaway that like watching other students come mm -hmm. to that realization helped me realize it in my own writing. Yeah. But I think also just character development, which sounds so obvious, yeah. but there were, I worked on a lot of short stories in that program, and a lot of times the characters would just be like two-dimensional, you know? It's like sure. you've read them before, like yeah. there's nothing special about them, nothing sparks off uh -huh. the page, and I mean, I still struggle with it. I'm working on my second book now, and uh -huh. it's like, I think it's the hardest part about writing a novel is creating a fake person from scratch. Right, that actually feels like they're not just a one-beat yes. thing. Yes, right. Um, is it also a thriller? Yes. As, is that has, what you've always kind of been drawn to is like those like those types of stories as a writer and actually as a reader too are these the types of books you read? I do I read a lot of uh, suspense and thrillers I also read a lot of general fiction though so I mean I try I actually like to read to read pretty widely yeah. you know I mean I wouldn't say I do as much sci-fi and fantasy although it's not because I don't like sci-fi and yeah. fantasy it's just like at some point something has to give exactly um but I do think it's interesting to read widely because that helps bring other elements of genre into your own writing. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I saw also um, one of your favorite authors being Shirley Jackson, and like yes. when I saw that, I feel like a light bulb went off. I was like, yeah, of course. That makes <laughs> yeah. so much sense. The, the narrators, I won't, I won't get into which of her stories I'm thinking of that related until after words. But yeah, that that made all the sense in the world to me with those yeah. types of books. Do you feel that reading? thrillers while you're working on a thriller is challenging or helpful because I know I've we've heard it both ways from authors where they'll say like yeah I don't want to read in genre when I'm writing or I've heard others be like I want to read in genre so I know to write something that isn't out there right now like do you find yourself in one way or the other uh I don't think it really bothers my process to yeah. read in genre I think I don't know if there's any Thing that I would avoid reading while I'm writing. I guess if it was like too close. So sometimes when I like when I'm researching a new topic, I'll read other novels that have been on that topic before. But I probably wouldn't. Like for example, my second book is about a cult. I wouldn't probably uh -huh. read a novel about a cult while writing my novel about a cult. That's totally. Oh man, I am really really excited. I'm <laughs> really you know what I've discovered that. is people love cults. People like universally, love they're fascinated cults. by them. I, I and I feel it's I are uh, some of our best friends are. I don't love true crime like documentaries or books and it's only because I feel like the world's shitty enough you know what I mean where I'm like I want to read something that makes me happy which is yeah. ironic but I loved your book so much because yeah, exactly. I did not I'm very sorry but you're absolutely right they are obsessed with cults they yeah. whatever it is about them it's like it's just something about these people who kind of don't really think for themselves and just want a I think I'm seeing a through line of a manipulative person in your books yeah. and just realizing this in real time. I know it's always like the, yeah, for this second one, it was like the leader who really drew me in. I know, you're going to think I'm a psychopath. No. I just think that, again, the psychology is so interesting. Like yeah. this charismatic person who can convince everyone to go along with yeah. them and they can pull the wool over so many people's eyes. Uh -huh. Maybe it's because I'm such a bad liar and it like never occurs to me to lie. Yeah. But I think people who can pull off lies are fascinating. Uh -huh. No, I, I will say... I don't think you're a psychopath because... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, because every author that I've spoken to, like, we've interviewed several horror novelists, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, they're going to be dark and spooky, and, and they're so bubbly and, like, out in the world, and it is. It's like, they're, people tend to be fascinated by what is foreign to them, yeah. so they want to write about those types of things. Yeah. Um, we got to do a thing with R.L. Stein, and, like, he couldn't be Ooh. a more... He couldn't be, like, a more bubbly guy. He's very, he has a very dry humor, but, like... I'm like, yeah. you're the guy who wrote the Goosebumps books. What's going on? So, yeah, yeah. I, so I don't think you're psychic because I feel like you get all that out. 
didn't want yeah. to have it internalized. I mean, that's why I write fiction, right? Because I had a very, like, normal, boring, like, in a good way, childhood. And, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. I, I think just exploring the darker side of things is interesting if you have been lucky enough not to, you Experience know. those things. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so towards the end of our conversations, we do nine lighthearted questions that I call the Nerd Nine. <laughs> I like alliteration. Uh, I used to call them rapid fire, and then we would get emails from people being like, you get sidetracked, please stop saying... It was like, this. I've gotten more emails about people yelling at me about calling these rapid fire, so they're not. <laughs> I know. Love our listeners. Sometimes they get mad at me, yeah. Um, the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Um, I just finished Three Women by Lisa, I think it's Tadeo. Tadeo, yeah. I finished that yesterday on the plane coming uh-huh. here, and so. the writing is incredible. Uh, my co-host, who's obviously not with us uh, at the moment... She interviewed Lisa about oh, nice. for that book, and I was, was so jealous because I wasn't there, and I was like, oh, and she said, it's, that book is phenomenal. It's so good. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Oh, probably just on my couch. Mm-hmm. I know that's boring, but it's just you're so comfortable. You can have, like, a blanket on you, and it's nice and cozy. Uh, do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid? Mm, I think, so there's a few series. The Nancy Drew series. Uh, I went through a real horse phase, so there's a Thoroughbred series. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know it, but, and then the Babysitter's Club books. Sure. Like, I just, all, the, like, all of them. Yeah. Listen, the the guy version of those is um, Matthew Christopher, I think his name was. He wrote basically, like, they're a bunch of, like, sport-type books, but they're generic middle-grade ones. So I, I okay. respect that. I, I read those, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Oh, Probably Christmas, but I don't know. I like Thanksgiving because you get to, like, cram your face. Yeah. And big, big food. Now, are you, you mentioned you're living in the U.K., though. Do you guys yes. still do Thanksgiving? They don't do Thanksgiving Well, no, they the don't, UK. obviously. Well, they, there are a lot of American expats, so you yeah. can. But I'll usually fly home fly and home. do family, yeah. Um, what's one place you'd like to travel you have not yet been to? Um, I really want to go to Japan, like, so badly. I've My husband and I have been talking about doing it, like, the last few years, but then all this book stuff happened, uh-huh. and... Uh, but hopefully next year. Uh, coffee or tea? I don't really drink either, but I'll, I'll drink mint tea occasionally. Okay, I'll say uh, you're in the UK. That makes sense. Yeah, I know. I feel like I have to. You have now. to, yeah. They'll yeah. kick you out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cats or dogs? Dogs. I have a dog named Moose Barkley. I saw that on your website. <laughs> Love to talk about Moose <laughs> at some point. That'd be amazing. Um, are you? What's your favorite food? Tacos. Yeah. You sounded unsure for a second I don't know there. why I sounded unsure, because I was thinking ice cream. It's uh-huh. like, but sure, it's, it's probably a tie for yeah. first. Uh, and then if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who'd you pick? Oh, any person? Any person. This is a very, like, kind of sad answer, but probably my grandma on my dad's side, because I never got to meet her. She died before I was born. Absolutely. That's a perfect answer. <laughs> uh, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from Darling Rose Gold? Um, I hope that they examine what it means to be a victim and I hope that it kind of opens their minds to to just empathize with people that you might not otherwise and I'm not saying I know that he's not a great person but I do think (laughs) that you need to take into account where a person comes from and what they've been through before you judge them I'm not trying to laugh I'm sorry it's so funny the way you said that though well, it's an unpopular opinion, I'm sure, but, you know, when you've actually inhabited the mind of this character, yeah. you do feel a little bad for her. No, so. I, that's perfectly fair. This was so much fun. <laughs> Stephanie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. 
Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.